Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtains, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Thank you, Liv, for reading today's passage. Listen to this prayer found on a Middle Eastern tablet from the 7th century B.C. May the wrath of the heart of my God be pacified. May the God who is unknown to me be pacified. The sin which I have committed I know not. The misdeed which I have committed I know not. O Lord, my sins are many. Great are my sins. My God, my sins are many. Great are my sins. The Lord in the anger of his heart has looked upon me. The God in the wrath of his heart has visited me. I sought for help, but no one took my hand. I wept, but no one came to my side. This prayer is desperately sad. The person calls to all the gods of the world for forgiveness, but finds himself completely abandoned. He faces the guilt storms of his heart alone. Now listen to today's passage, Hebrews 10, 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, immediately we ask, why such confidence to enter holy places? What are the holy places? The author of Hebrews is using the Jerusalem temple as a picture of a heavenly reality. As people approached the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, they would enter the court of the Gentiles. This was as far as foreigners could go. Then they would pass into the court of the Jewish women, followed by the court of of Israel reserved for Jewish men, and then the court of the holy place accessible only to the priests, and then finally the Holy of Holies, the sanctuary where no one was permitted to enter. God's holy presence filled that space. It was inaccessible. Separating the holy place from the holy of holies hung a massive curtain about as high as the ceiling of our church sanctuary. The holy of holies was the most sacred of rooms. Only the high priest could enter, and then only once a year. On the Day of Atonement, after making animal sacrifice on the altar, he would enter trembling the Holy of Holies for a few heart-pounding moments to offer incense and sprinkle blood to cover the sin of the people and his own sin at great risk to his own life. It was terrifying for him to be face-to-face with the living presence of God, the one he had wronged. So with this picture in mind, why do we now have such confidence to enter God's presence? Confidence means to have freedom, permission, or authorization. Notice the confidence is something we already possess. Why can we enter the presence of God boldly? A high price was paid. Who paid it? Someone faced the storm of sin, death, and the devil for us. 
Listen to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Since the children have flesh and blood, he, Jesus, too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Jesus, the Son of God, became one of us. He faced the storm of sin, death, and the devil for us. Our confidence to enter God's presence cost Jesus his life. His blood was shed, his body torn. When Jesus died on the cross outside Jerusalem, the curtain temple was torn from top to bottom by the hand of God. As Christ's body was torn at his death, so the curtain separating us from God was torn. Through the death of Jesus, the way to God was thrown wide open. Wow! We do not enter God's presence groveling, doing penance, making sacrifices, or trying to appease Him. No, in Jesus, all the walls between us and God have already been broken down. Because of Jesus, we make this affirmation. We have confidence in our access to God. We have access to the living God, to know Him. In His presence are found life, joy, truth, peace, and meaning. Jesus affirms this so clearly in John chapter 14, verse 6. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He opened the door for us. So do we value this door that has been opened for us? When we realize what it costs Jesus for, for us to enter God's presence, how does it change our worship and prayer? This way is described as a new and living way. It's new because the way did not exist before Jesus opened it up. It is a living way because we walk this way with the living, resurrected Christ. We follow the path of Jesus into God's presence. And then we read in verse 21, And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, we, the church, are the house of God. Jesus is the great priest over the house of God. Jesus is our access to God and our advocate before God. Romans chapter 8, verse 31. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us? Followers of Jesus have the privilege of entering the true tabernacle in heaven, where Christ appears in the presence of God, interceding for us as our faithful and merciful advocate. We're not alone. Jesus carries our names within himself, for we are in him. And so our, our second affirmation is this. We have confidence in our advocate, Jesus, before God. And based on these two aff affirmations, namely one, that we have full confidence to enter the presence of God, and two, that we have a great advocate in God's presence, we are urged to do three things. Based on what Jesus has accomplished, an intense appeal is made to us to do three things with all that we are. The first exhortation is found in verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Notice it's a command. Let us. It's not passive. It's active. Being in close relationship with God just doesn't happen automatically. We use our minds and our willpower to choose to do this. 
First exhortation. Let us draw near to God together. Notice it is let us, not let me. This drawing near is something we do together. Our primary mission is to know God together. We're called to worship together. We're called to be a house of prayer together. This means regular prayer times together, church-wide days of prayer and fasting, church-wide prayer summits. This means hearing God's word together at weekend services, in life groups, in the discipleship groups. We do this together. When we draw near we actively yield our lives to God, every aspect of our lives. In every moment, every situation, we draw near and surrender our lives because life is found in knowing Him, being with Him. Counsel, courage, and strength to face the storms of life are found in His presence. A true heart approaches God with full assurance of faith, that is, with conviction and certainty. We have a faith anchored behind the curtain in the presence of God. Listen to Hebrews chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever. Our faith is anchored in God's presence by Jesus himself. Now, no ancient or modern sailor who knows what can happen during an ocean voyage, would go to sea in a ship without an anchor, even today with the greatest and most modern vessels. For example, in November 2020, a rogue wave measuring 58 feet, 17.6 meters, four stories high, was recorded off the coast of Vancouver Island, breaking the record for proportionality. It was three times the size of surrounding waves. Surprises come our way. Every sailor knows that situations arise where the hope of the ship and all her company depends not on the captain, not on the crew, the engines, the compass, or the rudder. It depends on the anchor. When all else fails, there is hope in the anchor. And our anchor is not in the sea, but in heaven, the true holy of holies where Christ has gone before us. In totalitarian Czechoslovakia, Sylvester Kirchmeri prepared himself for imprisonment, imprisonment and torture by drawing near to God through worship, prayer, and the study of God's word. After repeated beatings, he realized the only way to make it through the ordeal would be to rely on faith. Kirchmeri decided to, like Peter, close his eyes and throw himself into the sea, anchored by his faith in Jesus, he writes. In my case... It truly was to plunge into physical and spiritual uncertainty, an abyss, where only faith in God could guarantee safety. Material things which mankind regarded as certainties were fleeting and illusory, while faith, which the world considered to be ephemeral, was the most reliable and most powerful of foundations. The more I depended on faith, the stronger I became." We can draw near to God in the worst of storms because our conscience has been cleansed from sin by the sacrifice of Jesus. We draw near with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. We have been made fit for God's presence, justified. If we're in Jesus, our Savior and Advocate, we are freed from a guilty and tormented conscience that prevents open, unhindered access to God. The sacrifice has been made and does not need to be repeated. We can enjoy life in God because Jesus' work was completed. 
It's a completed work. If you have never walked into the presence of God through the door flung wide open by Jesus, I would encourage you to yield your life to Jesus today. In Jesus, we find cleansing from sin and freedom from guilt, forgiveness, the removal of shame, the dispelling of our fears, and the love of God. If you want this, I will guide you in a prayer at the end of this message. For us who are followers of Jesus, let's take note of the encouragement here. We are to draw near to God with genuine, trusting, devoted hearts. We have all had the experience of meeting someone who smiles and talks to us, but at the same time looks around us at other people and things. The person is not genuinely interested in us. He or she is distracted by other interests. We are only heard when we are found to be useful for something. God is not just useful. Someone we only approach when we need something. God has invited us into a a dynamic, life-giving relationship. We cannot say we love Jesus, but we're not big on prayer. That's a contradiction. How can we love a person we do not spend time with? We cannot say we love God, but we don't spend a whole lot of time in His presence. We should long for nothing more than God's presence. We cannot say, we love Jesus, but we just find his word boring. How can we love a person we do not listen to? The author of Hebrews writes this in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. The second exhortation is for us, together, to live by an unwavering embrace of something. We are to keep something from slipping away. As the winds pick up, as massive sea vessels bob like corks, our ship must sail through life storms, holding on to our hope in Christ, unswervingly or without bending. And what's the basis for such unswerving hope? Well, he who promised is faithful. We hold tenaciously to our hope because God is trustworthy. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. He does what he has promised to do. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 18. For it is impossible for God to lie. We're anchored in Jesus, our access to God and our advocate before God. So here is the second encouragement. Let us hold tenaciously to our hope. Professor William M. Marston of New York University asked 3,000 people, what have you to live for? He was shocked to discover that 94% were simply enduring the present while they waited for, for the future, waiting for something to happen, waiting for next year, waiting for a better time, waiting for someone to die, waiting for tomorrow. So many people living on so little, just surviving just putting one foot in front of the other as they depended on ungrounded, baseless hope. Our Christian hope actually has substance. Our concrete hope is based on the completed work of Jesus, his life, death, resurrection, ascension, exaltation, and ongoing intercession for us. We are grounded in the true one, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And as a Russian proverb reminds us, one word of truth outweighs the whole world. That's truth. For many, this pandemic has been a four-story wave. Those who have been anchored in Jesus, drawing near to God and holding fast to their hope in Jesus, have endured with strength and courage, despite the trying circumstances. 
They have continued to profess their hope in Christ to each other and to those around them through their conversation and compassionate action. We want to follow their example. In verse 24 of Hebrews chapter 10, the author writes this, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. The word consider means to direct the mind towards and reflect on. It's about serious energy given to thinking about others for the purpose of stirring them up. The word stir is a strong word, actually. We're to provoke one another in a good way toward loving and serving. We're to motivate one another toward tangible expressions of love. And so this is the third encouragement. Let us spur one another on. The church being addressed by the author was facing testing and disappointment. In such a context, the need for finding ways to encourage others was all the more urgent. They were to draw near to God together, encourage one another with the profession of their common hope, and then motivate one another toward tangible expressions of love. In our Willingdon language, we would say, let's get to know Jesus together and encourage one another to carry on his ministry together. That is our mission our reason for being. Where does this spurring one another on happen? Well, look at verse 25. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The word neglect actually means to abandon or forsake. He's addressing wrongful abandonment. He's talking about walking away from relationship with the church family for all the wrong reasons. During the pandemic, we have had the gift of gathering online for worship services, gathering in life groups, ILM fellowship groups, and discipleship groups on Zoom. We should be grateful. Here's a picture of Betty Wood watching online. She has terminal liver cancer. Betty, we pray for you. And she's unable to attend in person. Her son Andrew and his wife Claire care for her. They're both immunocompromised compromised. So the online service and Zoom calls have been their only way to walk with their church family. Your situation may be very similar. If you are unable to come to in-person services, bless you. We love you. No, we will continue to invest in online services. Having said this, we're entering a new season. Many of us can attend in-person services. If this is your time to return to in-person services, I really look forward to welcoming you back. And why is gathering together so important, whether in person or online? Well, firstly, we gather together to worship because Christ is present in corporate worship. Worship in community makes possible an intensity of adoration that does not as, as readily occur in solitude. Our worship, it's a foretaste of, our, of the heavenly gathering. As we draw near to God as his people, heaven descends to earth. Those, those who join us experience God's tangible presence. Secondly, in the gathered community, God's word ministers to us with unique power. We hear God together. We seek to understand God's word together. Having God's word in our hearts, we can encourage one another in our faith and then discern how to live it out. Thirdly, we learn to love one another by walking together. Love by its very nature demands relationship, being together. We cannot learn to love on our own. Our care for one another cannot be sustained unless we meet together 
regularly. I have some questions for us. Do we come to weekend services thinking, how can I encourage someone today? Do we come with intentionality? Do we come with a desire to spur others on? Are we attentive to those who are new, ready to to welcome them? Do we come ready to love and to serve and not just receive? May I encourage you to serve. Do we go to our life groups, ILM fellowships and discovery groups thinking, how can can I build my brothers and sisters today? How can I build them up in love and service? How can I encourage someone in their faith journey? How can I spur someone on today? Why were people abandoning abandoning their gathering moments in the first century? In the book of Hebrews, the reasons were persecution and shaming and indifference and weariness and short-sightedness and arrogance. Some thought they could make it on their own. Why do people abandon gathering moments in the 21st century? Sometimes it's indifference, fear of disease, self-centeredness, weariness, short-sightedness, arrogance. We sometimes think we can make it on our own. We live in a very individualistic, isolated world. The truth is this. Our gathering together is essential. And all the more as you see the day drawing near, we read in Hebrews. Our gathering together anticipates the final ingathering of God's people. The day that we read about in verse 25 refers to Christ's return at the end of time. If we are to be a Christian generation, we must always live as a generation of the end time. This is a critical time in world history. This is a critical moment in Canadian history. Last week, our federal government enacted the Emergencies Act. No matter where we find ourselves on the political spectrum, we must agree that this is a very delicate time. So much hangs in the balance politically, economically, and most importantly, spiritually. Perhaps you've been following the evolution and passing of Bill C-4 through both Parliament and Senate. The preamble to that bill is deeply disturbing. It declares the traditional understanding of male and female to be a myth. The preamble gives clear evidence to the spiritual emergency in our country. How would we live if this was our last decade on earth? What would we say to our brothers and sisters in Christ? What would we want to stir up in them? On the day of his return, Jesus will draw near to us, and we will draw near to him for the last time, for we will be together forever in his presence. Do we live oriented to that day? Do we live with the end in mind? This moment is probably the most difficult moment for the Canadian church in 100 years. This is certainly a critical moment in the history of Willingdon Church. But it's a privilege to live this moment with Jesus. We're now emerging from a pandemic where our freedom to gather has been severely curtailed by provincial and federal governments. Now, how we come out of this pandemic depends on us, not on the government. If we live anchored in the two affirmations of our text, heeding the three encouragements, we will remain anchored no matter how great the storm. Jesus blew open the doors of heaven for us. Nothing should anchor us more than God's presence. Nothing should steady us more than our profession of hope in Him. Nothing should pass through our lips except that which would stir up our brothers and sisters to love and good deeds as we gather together for His glory and His alone. Now, if you 
have never surrendered your life to Jesus. And today's the day when you want to say yes to Jesus. You want to enter the Father's presence through the way opened by Jesus. You want to experience freedom from guilt, the forgiveness of sin, receive the gift of eternal life. Then if today is your day and you sense God drawing you to himself, then I'd ask you to pray this prayer with me. Jesus, thank you for the invitation to know you. Please forgive me for leading my own life separate from you. Thank you for dying on the cross and paying the price for all my sin. I repent and surrender my whole life to you. I turn to you for forgiveness and new life. Set me free. Jesus, lead me from this day forward. Lead me into the Father's presence. Fill me with your spirit. Thank you for gifting me with eternal life. Jesus, I ask you to make me into the kind of person you created me to be. I want to be like you. And so I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, then I'd encourage you to to talk to a friend who follows Jesus, or you can connect with us. We would love to encourage you on your journey. Uh, You can go to our website and just hit the connect button, and someone will be in contact with you very shortly. And now, just a blessing for all of those who follow Jesus. This is from Hebrews, the end of the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. God bless you. And uh, I'm going to leave you a few questions just for your reflection.